which is last is in section, as you know, last is in section, but first is 67, and then we'll wrap up from extending government in a minute. But let me begin reading for you at verse 16, and then just verse 67. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. I don't expect you to remember anything that was said last week, but should you, should that miracle occur, we were talking about hearing, and that there is a hearing, and that there is a hearing. There is a mechanical hearing that grabs a hold of the anvil and stirrup and eardrum, and then there's a hearing that is something that God permits, and God allows, and he opens the heart of the lady of the seller of purple in Thyatira, so that she can hear the gospel. There is a hearing, and then there's a hearing. There's a physical hearing, there's a mechanical hearing, and then there's a hearing that turns, that regenerates, that it is the work of God in the soul of man. Now, having said that, it was kind of interesting and kind of rewarding last Wednesday night. A man came up to me afterwards and he said, all right then, how can you tell whether you have true hearing or just hearing with a capital H versus hearing with a lowercase h? And that was encouraging to me because that's exactly where we're headed tonight. There are marks in the text that describe their signs of true hearing. That the hearing that you have experienced is a saving hearing. And I want to mention two of them, one of them tonight and one of them next week. But notice in verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. That is, the problem wasn't that they hadn't heard it. The problem is that they didn't respond to it. They didn't embrace it. They didn't want it. So, what are some evidences, some marks, some indications, some signs of uh, of true hearing, of right hearing. And one of them I just read you, I think. I, one of the things that I think is in the text. In verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. That is, when, when the gospel registers in the soul of a man, one of the evidence, one of the clearest evidences, ladies and gentlemen, is obedience. Have you obeyed the gospel? Did you realize that's what's got to be done to it? I mean, uh, I'm not asking you, did you believe the gospel? I'm asking you, as the text does, have you obeyed the gospel? Now, gang, uh, this is going to be a tricky little discussion, and we'll get to it in just a minute, but this is nothing new. Uh, just to show you a, a couple of places in the book of Romans. I mean, it's, it's in several places in the New Testament. But uh, I, I'm reading out of Romans chapter 1, verse 5, where the apostle says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. You see, the real faith 
is an obedience of faith. Uh, he also states something very similar in the closing chapter in Romans chapter 16. A couple of times, verse 19, for your obedience is known to all. And he states it differently in verse 26. But has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. All I'm simply saying is, what, what I'm suggesting is nothing new. Certainly not to the book of Romans, certainly not new in the New Testament. To accept the doctrines of the gospel intellectually, and that acceptance make, makes no difference in one's life, is a deadly posture in which to be. I, I didn't say that very well, but if I have got an intellectual grasp of the claims of the gospel, and that intellectual grasp has not influenced or changed my behavior at all, that is a very dangerous position to be in, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, a man's real belief is what he lives by. That is, what, what, what a man believes is the thing that he does. Um, saving faith is doing what Jesus tells me. He says that in the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What is the goal of, uh, of appropriate proclamation of the truth? The goal is to see people obeying Jesus Christ. I say it again, guys. Um, what a man believes is seen in what he does. For instance, none of you wore your, pajama, your pajamas over here tonight. Why? Well, you are convinced that it would be inappropriate behavior to come to such a meeting dressed in your PJs. Your, 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 R.C. Sproul used to say, all, all attire is a piece of communication. And that piece of communication is based on something that you believe. Guys, what you believe is what you do. And what you do is what you believe. Those things are not to be um, divorced. Now, this is tricky. It's a tricky discussion to have, guys, because particularly in a group like us, where we are... We are lovers of grace here. Sweet, unmerited, unmixed, unmitigated, untampered with grace. We love it around here. And so to, to introduce the theme of obedience, it, it, it's a very tricky balance to maintain. Um, and I want to try to do it again, but... Um, we never want to be guilty around here of being legalists. Um, see, and the tricky part is, has begun. There's, there's a couple of brands of legalism, ladies and gentlemen. There's a legalism that is very evidenced, very clearly evidenced in Judaism that says that obedience to the Ten Commandments is what God requires to, make, to allow me to enter into paradise. That's legalism and it's damning. 
but there is a there is an evangelical version of that which um, which talks about how everybody knows that Christians do certain things. They all do certain things, and they're supposed to do those things. And they're not supposed to do other things. For instance, you know, I'm, I'm learning all these lessons in my pursuit of uh, a replacement for Randy Ray. He's, he's uh, really done me a vast disservice. But um, in, in, my, um, in my pursuit, um, I, I've been in a couple of discussions where it is very hip right now, very hip, to have your Bible studies at Hooters. <laughs> Thank you, Shane. <laughs> that was the laughter of an ex-illegalist right there. <laughs> Now, let me ask you a question. Does that, does that bother you? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Not so fast. <laughs> Think about it. Does it bother you? Well, let me ask you, let me ask it a different way. Should it bother you? What does grace mean? What does grace allow? So, guys, it's a tricky discussion. Do we want to emphasize and enjoy and promote and understand the beauties of the, and simplicities of grace, unmixed by all kinds of behavior standards? You bet we do. But does that mean that we throw all of the standards out? And what standards do we keep? I had a man tell me today, today he told me, that he's a pastor of a church. He had a, a man in his church teaching the fifth grade boys. And he was, a, I mean, this church was a, another place that loves grace as much as we do. And the teacher of the fifth grade boys was teaching the boys, <laughs> was teaching the boys how to use curse words. Because if, if, you, if you believe in grace, it doesn't matter. So, one of the evidences of your embracing grace is that you curse a lot. <laughs> I'm really tempted. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> let me show you this. I'm not going to tell you who told me this. I'm not going to tell you who told me this. Because I think he would be embarrassed. But that's all, you know, I'm just 60. That's why I think that, I guess. But he told me that if I wanted instant credibility, if I wanted instant credibility among the, the, um, the youth of the world, that what I need to do is drop in an F-bomb in a, in, a, in a sermon every now and then. Or in a lesson. What do you think about that, guys? I mean, guys, do you see how tricky it can get? Um, wait a minute. Uh, and very frankly, guys, let's go back to the, having the Bible studies in Hooters. Listen, 
I could care less what they're drinking at Hooters. I got other issues at Hooters. <laughs> My distractions wouldn't be the beer. Did you get it? <laughs> well, but let's go back to that. I want to tell you that I, I believe that those gentlemen are, are doing everything that they can to protect the beauties of grace. And I honor that. I appreciate that. I want to protect the beauties of grace too. I don't want anybody tampering with the freedoms that are mine in Christ. I don't want any... And, and I will fight tooth and nail for you. Over, over those issues. I've said that. Bob Wood can tell you. I have said it since 1985. There's nothing that so riles me as, as the Christian church being stupid over stuff. But where does it stop? You know, guys, oh, now I would really love the, oh, they, they are. Um, uh, these things are very helpful in this little machine. Um, uh, on one end of the spectrum, you have Steve. Uh, Steve Austell said, "Jimmy, you've got to learn to use this machine because it's a great, it's a great." Okay. On one end of the spectrum, you have legalism. Then from there, you don't want that. No, no, no. That's bad. And ladies and gentlemen, it is. It is bad. But then the, the pendulum hardly ever swings from over here and stops right in the middle. It usually does, you know, one of these babies. And so on the other end is something called um, antinomianism. Which says, oh, this is full of law. This is no law. And so you want to take your Bible study to Hooters and, and uh, you know... Guys, let me ask you this. What if you were to hear, I, I lead a grace group. I lead a grace group. Uh, I had my grace group Sunday night. My wife was out of town, and, and I did it, and I did well, didn't I? I mean, not the study, but I mean, I pulled it off, did it not? House is clean. Uh, <laughs> we ate, and you know, nothing got broken, and you know, I pulled it off. But uh, let me ask you this. What would you think? What would you think if you heard that I had asked Chris Taylor there to bring um, uh, several six-packs of beer for our, our, grace, our grace group. What would you think? All right, now, and now as, you, as you cogitate, let me ask you this. Based on what? On what would you base your opinions? Do you see how tricky it can get? I mean, tell me this. I tell you, is there anything damning about beer at the Grace Group? I agree with you, Jennifer. I think you and I are the only ones. Everybody else thinks that you're damned if you... But nothing damning. But... You think we ought to do it? Now, on what basis do you make that, that, that statement? Gang, I am saying to you that there is an obedience attached to the gospel 
and and I'm I, one of my fears today is that there is such a a reaction against this that the pendulum has swung so far that anybody anytime anybody stands up and says there's an obedience to be observed as a Christian they say oh well you're just one of them in fact I would go so far as to say there is such a, a hatred of this that if Jesus were to walk the streets of Germantown they'd call him a legalist. That text says, not everyone obeyed the gospel. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the question, the, the question before the house tonight is not what have you believed. My question to, to put before you is what have you obeyed? Because you're, what you do is what you believe. What you're doing is what you're believing. Your doing is is rooted in some kind of belief system. Um, folks, have Christians not, have we not denounced our good works as filthy rags? Yes. As a means to save us, those things are filthy rags. As a means to justifying you before a holy God, your performance stinks. There ain't a bit of it that's acceptable in heaven. Not a bit of it. In terms of a method by which you hope to redeem yourself. None of us any good, folks. Oh, but Jimmy, I got baptized when I... It doesn't matter. But you don't know me. You know, I just... Guys, in terms of those things that you are relying upon to produce some kind of acceptance before God, the Bible says, they're in filthy rags. But, are there not some legitimate, noteworthy, appropriate, Emulatable good works among believers? Of course there are. Now, they're not gonna, they're not gonna save you an iota, but there is an obedience to the gospel that we're looking for, folks. I want to show you a parable, and, and really, I bet you, I bet you half of you have never seen this parable. It's a great little parable. Uh, turn to Matthew 21 with me. Um, many of you have maybe seen this one, but this one doesn't get not a whole lot of time ever gets devoted to this one. It's a good one. A little parable, um, uh, the parable of the two sons. You know, there's another parable of the two sons in Luke 15. That's a prodigal son, but this is another one. Now, guys, look at this. Um, let me, let, let's read it. What do you think? Jesus says, a man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? The answer is right in the text for you. (laughs) They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, 
the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom, the kingdom of God before you. Guys, that is such a powerful statement. You see, two sons, um, father comes to one son and says, son, I want you to go out in the fields and work. And he says, I ain't going to do it. He walks away, he feels bad. He, um, he changes his mind. In biblical terms, what do we call that? We call it repentance. He changes his mind and then, notice, he goes and, and he went, uh, he, uh, he changed his mind and went. That's what's, in the, that's what's in the text. And went where? Well, he went into the fields and he worked the fields. He, he performed some dutiful activities in response to his father. The other one said, yeah, I'm going to do it. And didn't do it. And so, uh, well, we don't like that guy, says the, says the scribes and the Pharisees. And so Jesus says, you know what? Tax collectors and prostitutes are going to get in the kingdom before you guys. Because you guys are like the second. That you, that you, you say all some right things. But you didn't go into the fields and work. Now, I'm not talking about service here, guys. I'm not talking about laboring for Jesus. I'm talking about just obedience. Jesus is to be obeyed. People who have heard rightly obey Him. I'll clear that up. Um, Guys, that is the great point of James chapter 2. You know, there's all this discussion about James chapter 2 and that James and Paul contradict each other. There's no contradiction between James and Paul and Martin Luther saw it before he died. Um, If there are no works of obedience, there is no faith. You didn't hear right. You heard like a Pharisee who said, Oh yeah, I'm going to go do that. And never did. Guys, the gospel is a call to obedience. But it's a call to the obedience of faith. You know, some some obey in order to get. Um, that is, their obedience is, is motivated because I am going to get rewarded um, by my uh, excellent behavior with an entrance into heaven. Guys, that's not the obedience of right hearing. The difference, if I could illustrate, the difference is something like this. I don't think people do this anymore. Maybe some of you really old people do. Um, Your Christmas trees? Do y'all put fruit on your Christmas trees anymore? I mean, they used to put oranges and things on Christmas trees. You don't do that anymore, do you? Okay, I just made that up. I don't know, but it's, the difference is, I'm trying to come up with a decent illustration. The difference is, is the Christmas tree on which you have attached some fruit versus a fruit tree. In, in one of those, the action might be the same, or no, the, action, the, the, the fruit might look the same, but it, it ain't the same thing. There's an obedience that's designed to get, and there's an obedience of faith. That Jesus that I have laid stake my eternity on is one who has asked this of me. And thus, I do that. Guys, um, buckle up.
instead of asking yourself whether you believe or not, how about asking yourself this? Have I, this day, done one thing because he said, do it? Or, have I, this day, abstained from one thing because he said, don't do it? You want to think about that a while? Guys, there is an obedience that is attached to saving faith. And that obedience can always trace itself back to Jesus Christ somehow. Like a, like the spokes in a wheel, a bicycle tire. You know, there's a hub in there. So whatever piece of obedience, if it does not, why is it that you did that? If it cannot be traced back to the person. I'm really big on this person thing these days, guys, because I'm telling you, in my world, we are really into theological precision. And I'm telling you, one of the meanest men I ever met and who chewed me up and spit me out was theologically precise. I'm just saying, just just some kind of subscription to a set of right positions means nothing. Is there some kind of obedience that will find if you if you look if you traced it back long enough you would find I did that because he said do it or I didn't do that because he said don't do it That's the obedience of faith guys Um I, I say this to you guys. This, again, this is a part of the tricky part. But it is absolutely absurd to say that you believe in Jesus Christ and cannot point to one smidgen of an evidence of that belief. The evidence of right hearing is a faith that obeys. That's what this text says. And if I cannot if I cannot trace my behavior a portion of it back to the motive of I belong to this person named Jesus Christ I, I, I would have to say to you, my friend, that I would not take comfort that I'm a believer. See, that, I say the tricky part. The tricky part was when they come into my office and they say, well, you know, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend and I'm, and I'm uh, selling drugs and I, you know, I, you know, decked my daddy the other night and, uh, and I, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, I just, but I'm a Christian. What do I say then? 
I mean, because I do not want to enter in a position where I'm saying, well, I, you know, I know for sure. I'm saying principially. If there is no obedience that traces itself back to the beauty of a relationship with this person whose name is Jesus from Nazareth, that's a very shaky position to be in. One other thing, I'll quit. The obedience that I'm trying to describe tonight is not an obedience anywhere approaching perfection. But it is approaching this. I'm trying. I am trying by the power of the Holy Ghost to resemble this person I say died in my place. I'm trying. I'm I'm a miserable performer. I didn't do very well yesterday. But, you know, um, last year, no, last month, I lost my temper and I yelled at my wife 17 times. But this month, I only yelled at her 13. Let's celebrate. We're, we're, we're headed in the right direction. But guys, there is within the believer this sense of, I belong to him, he stands for righteousness, and therefore I want, as he grants me grace through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, I want to reflect him. One of the marks of right hearing is the spirit on the part of the believer that wants to obey and is making some progress in so doing. We'll come to the second one next week. Let's quit. Our Father, I do pray that that has been uh, clear enough for your people um, and faithful to the text. I pray that you will uh, use it to, um, to stir us to be able to find more and more items that were performed because you told us and more and more things that were avoided because you told us not to. Not not because it produces any kind of reward or any kind of applause from my church buddies, but because you have asked that that all the precepts be taught that lead to an obedience of you in everything. So that's what we want to do, is as you give us grace, we want to obey. I thank you that there's so much of that spirit among this group of believers. We commit ourselves to you afresh, again, all over, Were there no heaven, were there no hell, we would still love this beautiful Savior of ours. We pray in his name. Amen.